0: Climbing Gold is a production of duct tape and beer, with support from the North Face. Never stop exploring. Dr. Squatch, get dirty, stay clean. Chorus, explore perfection. An element, restoring health through hydration.
1: Hey everyone. This season on Climbing Gold, we dove into the present and future of our sport. We saw a lot of positives and ran into some of the difficult parts of our sport and grappled with some of the growing pains as this next chapter in climbing unfolds. Today, on our final episode, Alex and I are going to sit down with our executive producer, Lise Hendricks, and our producer, John Bergman, and look back at some of the learnings from this last season and make some guesses about what the future holds for climbing. All right, so this season, we've talked a lot about how much competitive climbing has grown evolved and professionalized in the last five to seven years um to use john's metaphor that we've been working with it's grown up and it's kind of ready to move out of the house and do its own thing you know what did you what did you all like learn or find the most interesting about this season
0: this season you know I'm like oh this is my childhood you know going from a scrappy youth team doing some competitions to seeing the competitions get a little more professional to seeing it all start in the olympics this season i'm like this is been my entire life of climbing basically whereas last season it was like crazy stories that i'd never heard
2: i don't know if i i already kind of knew about the the evolution and whatnot but it was cool for example i think of like alex johnson mentioning that she and alex puccio were sleeping on gym floors in her episode and stuff like that and i alex johnson and, and puccio they were doing that that was like what eight, you know 9 10 it like that was only a, a decade ago so when you think about how much progress has been made on the comp scene and particularly on the American with American comp climbers, uh, in just a decade, that's pretty, that's pretty incredible. That's a lot of, uh, a lot of progress in a short amount of time.
0: Yeah. Even in the last five years, uh, I think somebody was telling me, was it on, on this show that someone was talking about Sean Bailey sleeping in his rental car and doing yeah. the World Cup circuit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that's no, pretty, that's not... you know, that's only a few years ago. Oh, how things have changed.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, in, in just like a few years. Right. That's That's incredible. So and, and it's so it's it's cool to think, wow, if it changed that much in the past just a few years, I wonder how much it's going to continue to change in the in the coming years in ways that maybe we can't even imagine.
1: Is it going to continue to evolve as quickly as it has in the last few years? Or do you even think it's headed to a place where it becomes uh, a huge sport like about the more about the money like the NFL?
0: Well, that's, that's an interesting question. Do you actually think it will keep changing at that pace, or do you think it's just going to change up to a certain point, basically grow up a little bit, and then stabilize again? Because I, I personally kind of think that it's going to reach a certain threshold where it's like a normal competitive sport, like just a little bit more adult, and then and then stop there and, and not continue all the way to the NFL or something.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. So what would the comparable ceiling uh, be snowboarding or something like that where it's you know there are household names that are the stars and and there's a thriving fan base but it's certainly not the nfl or the nba or something like that. or
0: or maybe uh competitive surfing would be a good example Mm. because i mean there are definitely a lot of fairly household name surfers despite the fact that not that many people surf really that's weird
2: i've thought about that a lot too with surfing it's tricky because surfing it's like you can get inspired by it you can get into it but if unless you live on the coasts your options are pretty limited which is totally different than climbing which is like if you're getting stoked about it everybody now lives within you know probably a or most people live within an easy drive to a gym
3: it seems like surfing culture though has like became way more mainstream at some point. And just, just from the standpoint of like the clothes that people wanted to wear and the way they wanted to act um, versus climbing culture hasn't really hit that yet.
1: Yeah, that is true. You could go to like a mall in middle of America and go to like, like uh, I think that store is called like Ocean Pacific or something. Like I have a memory from my childhood or whatever, like where, where you could kind of go dress like a surfer, even though
0: you've never touched water before.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it was, it was, it did a good job of like exploiting the uh, surf culture to carry on consumerism in in the U.S.
0: But th- that's why I think it's not that unrealistic for climbing to reach that sort of a point, but probably not really much further. We,
1: you know, we've, we've talked a lot about how stories are really crucial to holding the climbing community together. Like that, that is something, um, that is really important. And they were they used to be shared around campfires, um, in climbing magazines, and more and more it's getting a little bit more, um, I don't know, disjointed. But certainly in the past, like each generation kind of had like these moments where everyone would be like, holy cow, look what happened. It would, you know, when Lynn Hill freed the nose, uh, Sharma did the first 515 on Realization. Um, and I'm not sure that comp climbing has, certainly it hasn't given me that, or I don't think it's given most climbers that maybe until now because the men's final at the Olympics was like a moment. It was it was one of those stories and something that people who saw it will remember and talk about because, like, I won't forget our entire family standing around the laptop, like, cheering our brains out. It was incredible.
0: It's funny you say that about the Olympic finals because literally yesterday I was filming with somebody who happened to be, like, not really a climber, but he was At the olympics filming some of the equestrian sports and i think some of the surfing but basically he was just at the olympics doing uh you know a certain type of filming and he said that he was filming with some austrians when he he basically he was like man and did you see the austrian guy in finals like wasn't it crazy i was with a bunch of austrians and they went insane it was like such a moment i was like oh it's pretty funny to hear a non-climbing cameraman talk about you know that moment from climbing at the olympics i was like oh you're right i mean it was a very dramatic finals particularly if you're austrian Overall, like kind of from what I'm hearing,
1: the Olympics you know were not this immediate boon to climbing. Uh, nothing has magically changed. Is that kind of like what, what you guys have also kind of heard?
2: I do think that's true. And I've talked to some other gym owners. And I, th- I think the big expectation or the big hope was that after the Olympics, we would see this huge – gym owners would see this huge influx of people going into the gym – saying, oh, I I saw climbing in the Olympics and I want to try it. And most of the people I've talked to, that has not been the case. I think there's probably extraneous factors there, like being still in a pandemic and stuff. And so people might be reluctant to go to the gym like they normally would. Um, But it's interesting. I was (laughs) Alex, I was talking to somebody and they said, yeah, ever since the Olympics, I haven't had anybody come into my gym saying they want to try it try climbing because they saw it in the Olympics, but I still get people saying they want to try it because they saw free solo. So it seems like um, maybe the Olympics, at least in the immediate sense, hasn't had that impact that everybody w- was expecting in terms of participation. But I don't know.
0: because chair of the Hollywood. And that's, the, that's the real driver for climbing. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Dawn Wall, free solo. Yeah. Now the Alpinist. Yeah.
2: You know,
3: it's
0: all about those Hollywood movies.
3: Yep. Well, I wonder if it just takes longer um, for the Olympics to, because of you know when a new sport is in the Olympics, you it's not it doesn't get mainstream views. Um, yeah, it
0: doesn't like the get the sports, coverage.
3: Yeah, so I wonder if it just takes longer for people to to watch it and adopt it.
1: You know that's a good point because, like, um, I think of snowboarding, its debut in the Olympics. You know, we all, I think many of us think of Sean White, the flying tomato, as kind of like the face of Olympic snowboarding. But when it first, its first debut, it wasn't even half pipe. Uh, They weren't doing tricks. They were like racing like skiers. And there's a lot of similarities between, you know, our debut and, and snowboarding's debut.
0: You could definitely imagine LA 2028 having a big impact for gym climbing in the US because by then it will have matured enough that, you know, it'll be, domestic u.s competitors will almost certainly be in contention for medals. it's you know i mean i can see that having a much bigger impact
2: yeah and even at that point there might be more colleges that do it it might be ncaa sanctioned so there might be like college scholarships for climbing right who knows um so i think that's a good point (laughs)
0: i'll finally be able to go back to college
2: (laughs) (laughs) get that college scholarship yeah (laughs) (laughs)
0: you look
1: forward to that I have nightmares about that that's like my one recurring dream is like where I wake up and I find out that I never finished my like Spanish credit And I have to go back and I'm like in the dorm and I'm like, why do I live here? Why am I here? Like that's what I, that is like my most just to show that. Sorry. Is, is
2: everybody else in the dream the same age as you, or are they all no, still they're college? All younger and I'm like 40
1: <laughs> 43 and just being like, what am I doing here? It's terrifying.
0: Dude, at that point you may as well be doing an anthropology degree. <laughs> you're, like, yeah. you're like, I'm stuck amongst a different generation. <laughs> yeah,
1: totally is this also just maybe that the olympics don't have the same cultural cachet as they once did
2: that's definitely something that is worth considering is do the olympics in 2021 uh have the the same impact that they have for decades previously in uh, impact on pop culture and kind of public consciousness and all that i don't know maybe maybe not does the olympics mean as much today as it did Back in like 1984, when Mary Lou Retton, you know, wins gymnastics and she's on the Wheaties box and like all this stuff and she becomes a household name. Does that happen with the Olympics nowadays? I
3: don't know. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree because I think there, you know, like if you look at Instagram, for instance, there are plenty of people that are huge influencers in the climbing world that have you know, 100,000 followers that have the same amount of followers as people that just competed in the Olympics. Um, but doesn't that make you sad? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, but it's also really interesting, right? Because it means that, you know, anyone can reach people these days. Um, whereas in 1984, that wasn't the case. You know, we were told who to look up to and now, people because of social media can kind of choose who they want to follow.
0: I'm like, I don't know. That's a very optimistic way of framing it. It's like, or they get deceived into who to follow.
3: <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a whole different discussion.
1: That is a whole different discussion.
0: Climbing gold season
3: three,
1: the algorithm.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> if climbing were to make a leap where it became something that ca- very casual climbers watched, you know, online or on TV. What would it need to do that?
0: I'm curious about that. Do, do you really think there are that many fans of climbing who aren't already committed climbers?
3: I think that climbing has a hard time translating people that aren't climbers into fans of competitive climbing, because if you look at other fringe activities or really any other sport, the field of play is the same in competition as it is in just practice or, you know, real life essentially. And, you know, like surfing competitions are held in the ocean and skateboarding competitions are held in skateboarding parks and, you know, on and on. And so I think it's sometimes hard for people that, you know, experience climbing via free solo or, you know, uh, the Dawn wall or the new movie, the Alpinist to, to look at indoor climbing and to see the pathway between outdoor to indoor sports. um, and to feel the same excitement that they feel when they're watching something like free solo.
0: Yeah. You're saying that watching uh, a world cup lead competition isn't as exciting as watching free solo.
3: Correct. I find
0: that, I find that weird. Because I always find that when it like when the streaming service lags out weirdly and, and you know, you don't know what happened to the competitor. I find that pretty dramatic. When you're like, did they make it to hold thirty seven or or did they fall clipping? It's like, man, what if they fell clipping? It could've been a big whip.
2: <laughs>
1: I think this might say something about your Wi Fi, dude. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, well you know. <laughs>
2: I think one of the things that can really help get over that and get some of those fans is a, whatever you'd say, like a once in a lifetime star, a, a, a crossover star. Because I think back, all of us here probably remember when Lance Armstrong was winning all those Tour de France, Tour de France events. And cycling, I think, is can be pretty complicated. I think it's a pretty intricate world. Uh, and yet people that weren't necessarily cyclists were kind of drawn into that because they saw that he was doing something incredible, and that those summers when he was winning all those Tour de France's, you would just, like, th- the Tour de France was just on all the time, and it was being talked about all the time. It was wild to have a, a niche sport like cycling suddenly kind of on the level of fandom as something like the NFL or the NBA. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't know if it, it obviously didn't last, but... I, I keep I always remember that, that and it I'm went like, down
1: in flames yeah right so it's like we
2: I don't know if climbing obviously doesn't necessarily want to follow the, that trajectory but that is proof that these niche sports can develop f- huge fan bases
0: the, though actually even if it did follow that trajectory it probably still would be good for competition climbing because mm. just the fact that any of us know anything about competitive cycling I mean that is a product of of the phenomenon that you're talking about. know i read lance's book and i was all into it i was like this is amazing and you know i I think you're totally right that a charismatic megastar could definitely make climbing cool
1: yeah charismatic megastar like with an incredible story right with with with, an incredible story with dominant performances hopefully just without the the whole like conspiracy to commit fraud with performance enhancing (laughs) drugs and like the uh you know, sort of almost international trafficking of, of banned substances. But yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah, it's true. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's funny to say, because it's like, oh, if only we had the charismatic megastar, but that's such a rare, I mean, like we, like you said, like that you need all of these ingredients to fall in place on top of the fact that the person needs to be dominant to the point where we've never seen it before, right? Like it's...
0: Well, and and we had that in Chris Sharma for outdoor climbing. And, and I mean, that's what we covered in, in season one with the Chris Sharma episode. I mean, he was a big part of the the growth and popularity of climbing in some ways, but we just haven't really had that in competition climbing, or at least not in this generation.
2: Do you yeah. think if, if Sharma had wanted, it's, it's hard to kind of think back because that was, the X Games was the big thing and the IFSC circuit was not where it is now. The IFSC didn't even exist. It was still run by the UIAA, those competitions, but like... Uh, do you think if sharma had dedicated himself more to exclusively the comp scene um we, we could have seen climbing become kind of this popular household sport like a yeah. like a other sports
0: yeah certainly to some extent i mean if if chris sharma had adam Andra's desire to train indoors and to win and, you know, it's just a little bit less zen and, and maybe smoked a little bit less weed. You know, it's you could definitely see that that climbing could have taken a slightly different course.
2: Yeah. some Somebody needs to write that fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> like, should. You should. Sure? That's your next book. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> Chris Sharma with Adam Ondra, like like just putting together this uh, charismatic megastar from 2001.
1: Yeah. After the break, we talk about the drawbacks and upsides to growth.
0: I've been a North Face athlete for almost 18 years, which has been incredible, and I've always appreciated their commitment to exploration. Summit Series is the name of the pinnacle North Face products that I use on every expedition, and I love that their tagline is, Athlete Tested and Expedition Proven. I've personally tested these products all over the world and they've always proven themselves. Future Fleece is the next generation base layer that I wear almost every day of climbing outside, whether on the wall or at the crag. You can shop the full Summit Series collection at thenorthface.com. I first found Coros when I was looking for a GPS watch that could track my biggest outdoor adventures. I needed something with a massive battery life that was also robust enough to handle the climbing. As it turns out, KOROS is the only GPS watch brand that has done some serious development for climbers, from multi-bitch GPS tracking to indoor programmed workouts. The watches have a mind-blowing battery life. The Vertex watch series lasts for more than 100 hours in GPS activities, so I only need to charge it once every several weeks. I only need to charge my watch so sporadically that I can never find the charger, because I haven't used it in six weeks. <laughs> If you're interested in bringing new technology into your climbing training and tracking, you should consider their new Vertex 2S. Go to koros.com and use the code Gold to secure a free watch carabiner with the purchase of your new Vertex 2S.
1: I think that we all agree that the infrastructure, the resources that have been poured into the climbing, you know, in the last 10 years, it's, it's good for, for our athletes. It's easier to make a living. There's different paths forward towards professionalism. Um, the training and the health and the knowledge, all those are trending up and hopefully that equates for a healthier professional side to the sport. But my question is, is the growth in climbing good for the average climber?
3: I think it might be better for the average climber because if ultimately it creates a situation where there's more money and more interest in the sport, then better gyms will be built and um climbing will just be more accessible and easier to learn. Um so I could see that aspect of it being better for the average climber.
2: Yeah, I I think the, the accessibility and the more money in the sport and thus better livelihoods for the people doing it those are all benefits to, to what lisi said but i think there are potential drawbacks too i i mean one of the big things this whole season has been we've been talking about climbing culture and how do you maintain that and i think that it gets tricky because it kind of there's this question of then well okay well what is climbing culture um but i think one of when I think of climbing culture one of the things i think of is the fact that there's it, it kind of feels like we're all in this together. We're all on the same level, even if we're not, right? Like if I'm in a gym, I could be sitting on the crash pads. It doesn't matter who I'm sitting next to. It could be, it could be Andra. It could be some teen kid in the gym who crushes V13, or it could just be somebody who's like in there for the, the first time trying climbing. And yet somehow we would be able to connect and have a great conversation. There's just not this, there's not this separation. Um, and I don't know if, that continues as climbing continues to, to grow. Um,
0: Why do you think that would change?
2: Well, I think for one thing, if you think about other, I think about other sports, right? Like the, the athletes in other sports usually are not training in the same facilities as like usually there's almost like there's like elite facilities like if you're a quarterback or something you're not training at lifetime fitness right you're probably going to the (laughs) some elite training facility right um
0: no that's interesting actually you're right though because we're already seeing that in salt lake city let's say with the uh with the olympic training center you know the the most elite climbers in the u.s aren't really going to commercial gyms anymore
2: yeah which i think is is cool too i don't want to act like that's necessarily a bad thing i think the training center's Awesome, And we've highlighted it on this in this season. I just think it is I, I'm just it is a, a pinpoint a pin that we can put in the something that could change and continue to change.
0: You, you know, in, in some ways, though, that's the natural byproduct of, you know, we, we talk about a climbing superstar and, and how that's good for the sport and having fans and all that. But as soon as you start to have, you know, stars and fans and all those kinds of things, it does become much harder to train in a commercial gym. You know and, and and i'll just say from from personal experience you know when i travel to random gyms like if i'm in a city for work and i just drop into some some random gym unannounced you know it's uh it's often a bit of a thing you know it's like i basically and and it's interesting because as climbing gets more popular and the more climbers doing it uh like in the past and in some more rural places. I could drop into a gym and then basically just know that i'm gonna chat and like take a picture with every single person in the gym at that moment but that's kind of fine because there'll be you know 20 people and so you know you can spend the first 15 minutes of your session kind of like chit chatting and taking pictures with people and then you can just have your climbing session but you know in some of the more popular urban gyms there is no end to the line <laughs> you know it's like there's no like i recently did an event which which to be fair was for Global Climbing Day. So, I mean, people were sort of expecting to come in for a moment like that. But I kept thinking like, oh, just, you know, sign things and take pictures as fast as I can. Eventually I'll get to the end of the line and then I'll have a bouldering session. And the line never ended. I basically did four hours of, you know, almost ceaseless chatting and, and photos. Because in an urban area, people, you know, text their friends, folks come, folks leave the gym. It's like there isn't really a finite number. It's like, you know, I mean, they're. I don't know, that was in the Bay Area, so there's something like eight million people living within an hour drive, and so it's like you just never reach the end of the line. You're like climbing is too popular.
2: Yeah, it's almost like the the, the hierarchy is getting more solidified, uh, and, and you know, because I think back like a, a few years ago, I remember a friend of mine was like, oh, yeah, like Adam Andra was in the States for some reason, and he was like, yeah, Adam Ander, like came into the gym, and we were just climbing with him, and he was like totally cool. He was just like climbing with all of us, helping us out with beta and all that, just as you would with any, with a, any climbing partner and then now i have a hard time thinking that would be the case
0: the, the dude i actually went to the gym a couple of days ago and uh, this random guy was like hey how do i do this problem and i and i gave him some beta and then he sent it next go and he was like i've been working on that for an hour and he just hadn't thought of like a pretty simple little fix with like yeah. switching his hands on a hold and i was like and that's why i am a professional <laughs> 25 years of practice and i told him to switch hands <laughs>
2: it's like we have this sense where there's still this sense that you could go to a gym and bump into a famous climber pro climber, whatever and just like climb with them and that's how it's been the case for a long time I don't know if it'll be the case in the future and that's certainly not the case with other sports like oh I was down the street I bumped into this quarterback and we like threw the ball around for an hour it's like this pro quarterback no that, that that wouldn't happen but it does happen in climbing I don't know if it will continue to happen
0: Though with climbing, it will always continue to happen outdoors. I mean, if you go to cliffs with the hardest routes in the world, you're always going to find the strongest climbers in the world. I mean, that's the beauty of outdoor climbing is that, you know, everyone will always climb on the, the same routes.
2: Yeah. Unless, though, there could be, I mean, I don't know if this is the case, but if there was a crew there that had like their entourage, right, for filming it or something, and we're like, yeah, we're, we're filming now, like, go elsewhere. <laughs>
0: But, but right, even then, I mean, it's, but even then it's public land, you know, it's like, you can't really kick people out. And, and if you try to, it's incredibly poor form.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I I rolled up to the crag with an entourage yesterday and it was uh, <laughs> kind of douchey, but it was, it was fine. At least he was there. She survived. I, I don't yeah, know. Barely. You,
3: you, yeah. Yeah. With that
0: douchey, it's hard to tell, but it's like, well, we when have to you work send my
3: project in my face, it makes it really, really hard for me to, but
0: I validated your beta, didn't
3: I? <laughs> you did.
2: <laughs> I validated. That's like the I, 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 I stole your project but I, I used the same beta that you were trying. So it doesn't No, I good.
0: didn't didn't steal it cuz other people had done it and, and and they were too afraid to use her beta, but I used her beta and I thought it was very good and it, I thought it was the best way.
3: So that's something. Let I validated be your beta. It <laughs> yeah. definitely deserves to be on a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, um, Alex Honnold validated my beta. Th- there you that go. deserves
0: that to get a t-shirt. That is the no. No
1: so we just mentioned the training center as well as the reality that there is a growing stratification in our sport one of the next efforts that usa climbing mentioned was building a 20 million dollar training facility for the elite climbers sort of like a a castle on the hill that's absolutely world-class and sends up some red flags or, or maybe questions in my mind it's like is, is that really what we should be doing? like like if we were going to spend 20 million dollars, would we be better served if we spent that on outreach in urban areas where most of the gyms are or you know help create subsidized youth programs with with better coaching, better resources or you know maybe even supporting more gyms like Memphis Rocks? What instead instead of like walling off our sport, what if we use that those resources to start opening our arms?
0: it depends what your goal is. I mean, if your goal is to have the strongest climbers in the world doing the hardest routes and, and winning competitions, then, you know, you should be building castles and like build nice training facilities. If your goal is to have a broad variety of people enjoying the sport, then you should definitely focus more on outreach and, and building accessible gyms. You know, it's like, what's when not though thinking about it, like
1: being like more people included and in it gives you the chance to find that breakout talent that has the charismatic story that has the charismatic personality the story the well, talent.
0: I, I, I know what you mean but i, I kind of disagree because even if you find that breakout talent and you don't have the facilities to, to foster their growth then you know basically if you don't have that training castle for them then they can't really reach the peak peak performance
2: yeah i think the olympics changes things a little bit in that it's this it it it's such a significant stage, and now that climbing has access to that stage, I think actually fits the end the end goal for both of those would be the same. Whether you're building the castles, so to speak, to train the elites, or whether you're just using that money to to create a more robust gym infrastructure for access and whatnot, if the end goal of building the the castle, the elite training center, and whatnot. If they if that leads to Olympic glory, gold medal, then that results in um, more people becoming aware of climbing. Actually,
0: though, I, I immediately am I'm like, "Is that even true?" Though, because I mean, Nathaniel Coleman won a silver medal, and like, does you know, has that changed climbing? Like, uh, you know, like, is that driving growth in the gyms? Like, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe that's the. The the common take is like oh well if somebody wins in the Olympics then it's going to drive a lot of people into the sport but that's not really true necessarily because you know really what drives people into the sport is whether or not the Olympics gets a lot of coverage which presumably happens more if Americans win but I mean in this case an American almost won and you know there's zero coverage and nobody really cares kind of like I don't know maybe, maybe uh, focusing more on the growth of gyms is is the better way to get more people into climbing
2: that's that's been one of the big things for me too with the olympics you know my what i want to see is and i've said this before this in this season is that i want to see more media focused exclusively on comp climbing which goes to our point we always say about comp climbing needs to figuratively you know move out of the house to use the metaphor and so i always want to see more media covering competition climbing big media covering it whether it's espn Fox Sports, CBS Sports, NBC Sports, it'd be so cool if they would start covering competition climbing as well, these non-endemic outlets. And during the Olympics, we actually saw that. We saw glimpses of it because all of those outlets were covering the Olympics. Most of them at some point mentioned climbing or ran a piece about climbing, comp climbing. Um, So in a way, the Olympics, for me, I was like, oh, this, this... it's possible you know because here it is they're they're doing it in the Olympic it's possible to have all these non-endemic outlets interested in climbing um, and it was fleeting right because now here we are after the Olympics and of course they're not they're not covering competition climbing but at least we saw it can happen
1: I like how your whole thesis of like climbing needs to move out of the house and it's like basically went from like climbing needs to move out of the house you know, and go or competition climbing needs to move out of that house. And now we're talking about it, like building castles. It's like, it's like it not only needs to move out, it needs to build a mansion. Like it's kind of like
2: it's move like, out of the house, like, start your own career, yeah. get your own. Yeah, it's like
1: right. my parents' house is shitty. It's time to get out of here. Like, they're living in vans. Like what the heck?
0: Dude, competition climbing is li- living the American dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: After the break, we talk about the role gyms have to play in the future of our sport.
0: Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix formulated with a science-backed ratio of sodium to potassium to magnesium. Each packet delivers a meaningful dose of electrolytes free of sugar, artificial colors, or other dodgy ingredients. It tastes great and I've used it extensively on expeditions. Element is formulated for anyone looking to restore health through hydration and is perfectly suited for athletes, folks who are fasting, or those following keto, low carb, whole food or paleo diets. Try Element totally risk free. If you don't like it, they'll refund your order, no questions asked. So whether you're new or returning Element customer, you can get a free Element sample pack with any drink mix order when you go to drinkelement.com climbinggold. That's drinklmnt.com slash climbinggold. Dr. Squatch crafts natural, high-performance personal care products with no harmful ingredients. I don't shower often, but when I do, I use Dr. Squatch. I especially like the Summer Citrus Bar Soap. From soap to shampoo to conditioner, they help me look, feel, and smell my best for whatever adventure I go on. They're offering listeners 20% off any purchase for new customers with the code Gold. Or you can go to DrSquatch.com slash Honnold. Dr. Squatch, get dirty, stay clean.
2: I, I want to say, I thought it was really cool. I don't think this really got focused on, but in the Ashima episode, when she she said it kind of in passing, but she said that when she first started climbing she went to her gym she she learned she saw it in central park and then she went to a gym and her, her parents couldn't afford a gym membership and so she was allowed to basically climb at the gym for free and when she said that that really struck me because i was like oh i don't know if that would happen now at at a gym i mean i know that there are gyms like memphis rocks and stuff that have it built into their their business model to to have um kind of tier different tiers of of paying but i don't i don't know i don't want to speak for ashim i don't think that was the case for her gym i think it was just the gym just saw that she couldn't afford it and was like yeah it's okay climb here anyway
0: or the gym saw a singular talent i mean i think that's probably still true for most gyms that if a if a six-year-old japanese girl came in who could climb harder than than most of the adults in the gym I think most gyms would would cut her a break. (laughs) You know, be like, whoa, like, let's let this little girl climb for free because this is incredible. You know, I mean, I I think that's probably true in most places because, like, I mean, every gym in the country, the manager still has some discretion with that kind of stuff. And to allow a kid who seems to be a prodigy, you know, it's like I I think most people would still let that slide.
1: It's just in the last few weeks, all the gyms in basically the Puget Sound region have basically – instead of just being like oh we found this singular talent they're almost they're basically setting up that sort of scholarship program and broadcasting it and being like hey if you know somebody that that would benefit from having uh, you know a, a free membership or discounted membership like there's a program for doing this and and we'll do that and they're using their connections in the uh, community they're using um, social media to actually do that. Call out, And it'll be interesting to see if that's, you know, an effective way of, of doing that, but it's, people are starting to think like that. And it's, it's just an interesting, um, Dude, uh, a,
0: a, a while back, I was at a gym in Brooklyn and uh, there was this kind of young guy wandering around with no climbing shoes. He was just wearing a pair of socks and he was just canvassing things. And he definitely seemed like a beginner, but he was also campusing at a very high level. And I was like, huh. I was like, is this what happens when you can't afford rental shoes, but you're also prodigiously strong? And I was like, what an unusual, you know, I was like, I don't know. I was just struck by it. I mean, I, the fact that I still remember it means something, you know, I mean, there's the chance that he was, you know, a more experienced climber who just was like doing an arm day or something. But I really got the impression that it was somebody who was basically new to climbing couldn't afford rental shoes but it was like cool i'll just campus and i was like wow that's 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 something you yeah.
2: know that's cool you you might have seen the next chris sharma there I, I, campusing
0: yeah i think i would recognize him if i saw him again so we'll see if i see him at the crag <laughs> in a year or two and he's he's campusing 514 i'd be like whoa yeah you will not validate that beta <laughs>
3: no yeah exactly no.
1: brings up something we've talked about um, is that the gyms are going to be a huge part in setting the culture. And and that also means by default that the the gym owners are going to play an outsized role in that, whether they're family run or part of like a large holding company um, with corporate investment, the culture is going to get set in the gyms. And I think that the Ashima story kind of epitomizes the community nature of the sport, like where we're willing to, um, you know, kind of help each other out. Um, and that's been a part of it. And it's, it's, I think one of the defining characteristics of, of, of our climbing culture, but are there other elements that you guys think of, of climbing culture?
3: Climbing culture? Like what is climbing culture? That's such a hard question to answer because it's, it's so many different things now. And even, you know, like really niche sport climbing culture versus versus like hardcore boulders versus trad climbers versus people that like, I feel like all those cultures are, are slightly different and shifting. Um, but I think the one thing that goes across the culture is that the sport is hard at any level. And yeah,
0: no, it's, yeah, it's always hard. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. It's just always hard at any level or at any style that you're doing it. And so I think that's like the one thing that kind of connects it culturally. It
1: would almost be interesting. Like every gym should probably always have a problem set that nobody in its membership can do, you know, like, like that there almost should always be like an open project that they should almost like call in people for and be like, nobody sent this one for this month. Like that idea of, of being like there's something, I don't know, like that might actually help kind of maintain some of that through line from history where there were things like Midnight Lightning where everyone walked past something but nobody could do it and then suddenly someone can do it. I don't know. It's just it's interesting to think about like that there might be little cheats and little creative ideas that allow us to tap into some of those things.
2: I think one of the cool things fits to that point that would be, and this would be, I think, something that hasn't existed yet, which would be like for every gym, not every gym around the country, but for multiple gyms around the country to have the same route or the same boulder set. Right. Um, so like you could go into a gym in California and there's this really hard, whatever, 514 B, uh, route with on kilter holds or something. And then you could go to a gym in Florida and that same exact route is, is up there, and so you have people all around the country still kind of trying this same gym route, uh, which is kind of like the moonboard idea, right? But with gyms, with with routes. And I know that there are companies that have toyed around with that idea, like WALTOPIA's got their harmonized wall system, which is like gyms around the country can have the same angle and the same holds and all that. But um, yeah, it's just an interesting idea to have like the equivalent of Midnight Lightning outdoors, but have that in a gym in multiple gyms around the country.
0: Well, that's how gyms slowly edge closer to 24-hour fitness. You know, it's like, imagine a bunch of big boxes around the country that have the same walls at the same angles. You have one setter that just sets a handful of problems. They all get replicated on the different walls. And then anytime you go into a 24-hour climbing, let's say, you have the same sets, you know, on all the different walls.
2: Yeah, that's the risk, right? It's like a.
0: Well, is that even a risk? I mean, I I actually, I mean, that might just be the future. You know, I mean, it's like certainly it's going to make the gym operators the most money because you don't need any staff.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it certainly make route setting easy, right? Like, hey, here's a route, put it in every, put it in all 15 of our gyms or something like that, right? Like,
0: well, not not even uh that. You basically have one, you know, flagship gym where you have a handful of good setters. They set the whole gym and then that exact set gets replicated in all the other boxes. Yeah. Uh, which, which is depressing
2: to think about. This but so, I mean.
1: This sounds so dystopian, but <laughs> logical.
2: <laughs> Put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's coming into this industry totally from the outside, and they want to st- start a chain of gyms. Just like you say, okay... At like a chain of rest, like McDonald's, we're going to have the same recipe for a hamburger in every single McDonald's, right? Like you would, you'd say, okay, well, we're just going to have the same routes in every gym. There is a, as much as we kind of cringe at this idea or can cringe and pick apart at the pros and cons, there is a logic to it.
0: Um, well, well, do we cringe? Because every gym I go into now, I just go to one of the boards in the back and just use a, a yeah. you know, the same training board that I use at home. Because I like the consistency. I like being able to train on the same problems. You know, it's. I don't know.
2: Yeah, or maybe it's I mean this is like way down the future, but maybe it's just every gym is a is the same exact spray wall and people use their app just like you would for a moonboard where certain holds light up. It's like the certain you use your phone and the certain holds light up on the spray wall and you're like, "Okay, that's my 512 route that I'm going to climb today at this gym."
0: That, that 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 that's futuristic actually. If you imagine that every gym is just a ton of holds like every teen up full of holds and when you get to the base you're like i want a 13b endurance route and it just like lights up a nice 13b endurance route you're like that'd be cool
2: i don't know i i feel like we might not be as far away from that as in terms of the 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 technology to do it like that would be very pretty easy to do right so you just create an app and you fill your gym's walls with light up holds
0: if, if anyone does this, we expect a nickel for uh, every new member.
1: So
3: just, <clears throat> you, know.
1: you know, a lot of the things we're, we're talking about, I think the average climber, like someone like me, doesn't doesn't have like a ton of, d- ton of sway in. You know, like USA climbing doesn't care what I think, right? I, I just think that for the average person, it's kind of like, well, these are some issues. They're big, but like, how do I actually like influence them? And I think part of the way you can influence them is by where you go to the gym and who you support. And like, like, because we are, I mean, you know, if you live in a big urban area, you start to have options, right? There, there are, um, you know, chains in where I live. And there's also like starting to become like, sort of more, I will say, quote, unquote, like mom and pop places, like smaller gyms that have, um, you know, that, that are thinking about like setting towards like, a climber that really cares about it, and they're providing coaching. They're providing like sort of like analysis of movement where they're starting to get that complex in the thinking, um, and that's really cool. And I really appreciate that there's still space for those kind of different environments to allow ideas to to percolate up. So it is wicked to think about like, well, how could technology be better? And I think it is like kind of neat to think about. Oh, there's the same route all across the country. But I also worry about that I I do think we have power as as the consumers of climbing to think about what we want to support too and it may not be as good for the elite people or the people that are making money off the sport
0: I I mean I just wanted to say I I think part of the reason that you're not as interested in in that kind of mass setting is because you happen to go to a gym that already has great setting you know it's like if if you lived in a climbing desert, you'd be like, wow, that would be an incredible that's true. opportunity. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you value the creative side of it because you already have something yeah. I have, incredible. Like, but it's like, but even but even in your town, you know, there are other gyms that have yeah. much worse setting in town. And you're kind of and that's why you don't go there. That is true.
1: Thanks everyone for listening. It's been an incredible year. Thanks for all the encouragement and feedback and story suggestions. And right now it is time for us to take a break and actually go climbing. But before we do that, final thought.
0: Well, you know, we're just we're just along for a wild ride watching climbing grow up. Truth.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it.
0: It's fun to see. It'll be interesting to see. Twenty years
1: from now. We can all text each other, be like Oh, huh. did that work out like we expected
0: or not? <laughs> Twenty years, we'll all be climbing in different gyms across the country, but they'll all be the same sets, and and we'll all be we'll all be texting for beta on the same problems <laughs>
1: <laughs> together. but alone.
0: Yeah, it'll be nice. It'll be
1: nice. <laughs> yeah, well, I look forward to that. Thank you everyone for listening, for all the encouragement and feedback and story suggestions. If you got more of them, send them our way, because we're starting to think about season three. Yes, it sounds like there'll be more climbing gold. This podcast is a production of Duct Tape Than Beer. Alex Honnold is our host. This episode was edited by me, Fitz Cahal, John Bergman helped produce it. Additional editing and mixing from Cordelia Zars. Music today by Brendan O'Connell. Art direction by Anya Miller. Our executive producers are Becca Cahall and Lisey Hendricks for Duct Tape Than Beer. And Jonathan Redzik and Ben and for RxR Sports. You've been listening to Climbing Gold.